Welcome back to the Mancunian Non-American series. It's been a while, you know, a lot's been going on in life and stuff, and, you know, I didn't really have an idea of what to talk about and what to discuss for the podcast, but recently with the 2020-2021 season going in full force and with cities form recently, I decided that we need to have a discussion. Thing is, there's a phrase that is called, if you're not going to be there for me at my worst, don't be here for me at my best. And I think that really applies to our team. A little bit of a backstory here. I come from Chicago. Well, you've probably heard me say that 50 million times if you're my friend and we talk on a regular basis. But We have a hockey team, the Chicago Blackhawks, one of the original six and one of the most successful teams in recent history. Probably the most successful team of the 2010s decade being the first dynasty team within the salary cap era. Look that up if you want to know more. But my parents grew up as huge Blackhawks fans and they waited 49 years for the Blackhawks to win their first Stanley Cup in a long time. They had won three in 1934, 38, and 61. It took all the way to 2010 for them to win their fourth Stanley Cup. And in the middle of their three Stanley Cup runs, they always told me, you know, you better be thankful that you're seeing this and you're growing up with this. You are so spoiled is what they told me. And when I was younger, I was like, yeah, whatever, mom and dad. Like, I hate seeing them lose. It's the worst thing ever. But, you know, in a way that they're right, because in the early 2000s and stuff, the Blackhawks were awful. Like, no one would go to their games because their chairman wouldn't put any of their games on TV. And they wanted people to come to the stadium, even though they were so bad like it wasn't worth watching them because they're so bad and such so my parents are right to say that I'm spoiled in that the fact that I got to see a dynasty team practically some of the best teams in NHL history especially with limited money my point being said is that the Blackhawks haven't been doing so hot the past couple years This year, they're lucky to get in a playoff series because of the expanded playoffs with COVID and the return to play protocols and such. But, you know, they didn't make the playoffs in 2018 or 2019, even with Patrick Kane carrying them. And they've had a downfall recently. It's not been fun to watch, you know. I went to my first Blackhawks game in like seven years last December, and they lost so badly. I had never been to a game before where they had lost, let alone lose, I don't know, what was it, 7-1. to one. It was 7-1 to one that they lost, and I had never been to a game where they had lost before, but they just weren't that great, and you know, it sucks, but at the same time, I was so happy to go back to a Blackhawks game because even as bad as they were, the atmosphere 
of the United Center in Chicago was still there. And I got to show my boyfriend, this is what I grew up with. Like this atmosphere right here, like the loud cheering during the national anthem and the clapping. And just when the Blackhawks score hearing Chelsea Dagger play, like it's like I had never left and I still enjoyed it despite how bad they have played. And with that being said, I'm still backing my hockey team even through something that's not a great time for them because they haven't been that good recently and they're going to need to rebuild soon because their 2010 prime is over. You know, most of their core players are getting old. And, you know, I am going on a tangent here. But based on that, City are obviously not where they should be right now. Our Premier League form is horrible. We've had the worst start to a season in the Sheikh Mansour era. The worst start to our season under Pep Guardiola. And even though we're a game, we have a game in hand, we're below United, who also have a game in hand. We're below Arsenal. Arsenal, out of all teams. And Spurs are on top of the league. At least the way I think. It's Spurs or Chelsea. Oh, my God. I hate Spurs. For Their fans are just entitled pricks, in my opinion. But... We are having such an awful start to the year, bar in the Champions League, which we've had a great start to the year, and the Carabao Cup. But the thing is, look, I know it's so frustrating to see that we have all these great players. We have one of the best players in the world. We have in Kevin De Bruyne, who arguably was the best player of the 1920 season, depending on who you think was better between him and Robert Lewandowski. And we have such a better defense than we did before with our defensive signings. Yes, we spent a lot of money on them, but our defense is so much better than it was before. The thing is, with the pandemic, we had to delay part of our 1920 season. So we're seeing football into July and August. The players only had a few weeks off. The season started in the middle of September when usually it starts a month earlier and the season is due to end in the same month that it normally does just a couple of weeks later, meaning the games are more compact with the Premier League, not to mention that there's also Champions League, Cup games, etc. Obviously, some of these players that played longer seasons with Project Restart, such as our team, who played into the Champions League quarterfinals in Portugal and didn't get as much time as the rest of the league got, are going to be more tired They're going to be more prone to injury. I know this really sucks right now, the form that we're in. But the thing is, we know we have a world-class squad. We have one of the best squads in the world. This is a team 
that could possibly win the Champions League this season. Especially if we do make a big signing in the January transfer window, which I think we should make a signing in the January transfer window, whether we somehow get a midfielder or whether Messi says to Barca, I'm out, City, give me my contract. You should have expected for it to be a little bit more rough of a season with the schedule and with the players barely having a break. And also UEFA and FIFA still thinking it's okay to have an international break within all of this. Our players are exhausted. They barely had a break. Some of them have been struggling with injuries because they've barely had a break. The thing is, we forget that footballers are human beings. We, as fans who are not professional athletes, do not personally know the struggle of getting played to play a sport that is entertainment for millions of people, not only in England, but around the world for everyone to see. They come with physical struggles because you're getting paid to do something or your body is going to get worn out. And especially in a time during a pandemic, you're going to be more tired. And with a tight schedule, that also increases the chances for being tired. And, you know, some of these players contracted COVID. They're obviously going to be a little bit screwed up by contracting COVID, even if they were asymptomatic, simply for the fact that they had to isolate for two weeks and then get back into training right after, meaning some of their fitness could be gone. I personally experienced a quarantine because nine people on my swim team tested positive for COVID. We all had to go in quarantine and that really screwed up my form. Well, my fitness or how in shape I was, however you want to put it. Like I have been struggling the past couple of weeks because my body feels so tired from being thrown back into training. And we did a little mock competition over the weekend and I wasn't happy with myself simply because I was tired and not in the shape that I should have been because of a COVID situation. But the thing is, None of my coaches, friends, teammates, parents, anyone I know went on to social media and started saying, well, Sarah should be binned. Well, Sarah should not be on the team anymore. Sarah doesn't deserve to be on the team because she's struggling and the team's struggling and blah, 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 blah. So, yes, I personally have somewhat of an understanding of what the city players and basically any of the professional footballing community has been going through just because I had my own little bit of an experience with the COVID struggle just simply because a quarantine fucked up my training and you know that's really had an impact on the team and they're human Like, they can't come back from a quarantine 
or an injury and be at their best level right away. No one should be expecting that. I know that all too well, like I said. I don't get why we're expecting our players to be in our prime form during a pandemic with a tight schedule. We should have known that they were going to struggle. And you know what? We should be backing the team right now. Some of our best players, yes, they may be struggling. They may not be doing so hot. And maybe their impact on the team could be greater. But really, we shouldn't be going on Twitter and degrading them and saying that they should be sold or they should be binned or anything. Criticism is perfectly fine. Feel free to criticize them, but criticize them in a reasonable fashion. They should not be immune to criticism. They should know when they need to be better. And people like to say, oh, well, they're professionals. They get so much of this. They just ignore it. They don't really care or see anything. They're not going to be bothered by it. But the fact of the matter is, when you go and you see a player having to address comments on their social media because of one mistake in a game that they had or one bad game that they had, you know it's getting ridiculous. Benjamin Mendy having to respond to fans on Instagram because of what they have said to him. Zinchenko having to respond because Ukraine fans sent death threats to him for one pass. Oh my God, these people are more than footballers. They have families. They have other interests besides football. Yes, it's their profession. But for the love of God, treat them like they're humans. We're struggling right now. And they're probably not mentally happy with themselves because the team is struggling. They're probably mentally beating themselves up at times. Mentally, with how our fan base is, they probably do see what we say about them on Twitter and they're just like, well, the fans don't believe in us. How are we supposed to play well if the fans don't believe in us? You know how people make fun of Liverpool's Anfield atmosphere and that's why Liverpool do so well at home is because of Anfield and Inshallah? Well, maybe it's because their supporters at Anfield are backing them no matter what is happening with the team, no matter their away form, anything. That's why Anfield at Inshallah works, is because the players know that no matter what happens, their fans are going to have their backs. And the truth is, a lot of the City fans don't have the players' backs based on what they go on and say in social media and based And the players know that based on the fact that some of them have had to come out and respond to what people have said to them. I know Twitter is just, a lot of them are teenagers and they don't know any better. But 
there's a reason why the main road stands will be like, oh, I wish we went back to the days where we were at main road and league one without all these spoiled brats and the city fans born after 2000 are the worst because they're so spoiled. Yes, we are spoiled because of the fact that Pep had us break so many records in his second season with us. And then the season after that led us in a very exciting title race that we still had 98 points at the end of the season. We still did some incredible things during the 1920 season, ironically. Yes, I know the Carabao Cup is not exactly what success would be, but we won our third one in a row, so it's something. There are some positives, like Kevin De Bruyne tied an assist record, the Premier League assist record in an offseason. Ederson got the golden glove with a crappy defense in an what seemed to be an off-season. So there are still positives in the 1920 season. And now we have so many of our players have been turned on recently because they have struggled recently. The thing is, it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of your life. It shouldn't be such a huge problem in your life that Manchester City did not do what you want. Yes, it's going to set your mood. It's going to put you in a bad mood. Trust me, it puts me in a shitty mood as well. I was just in an awful mood for the rest of Saturday after the game. I will admit that. But you know what? We go on. Life goes on. There's another game coming up. I know. I admit that I really haven't been excited for the games recently. Just because of City's recent form. But there's always some little bit of faith in me that the boys will win. The boys will come through and they'll do something. Just because, I mean, I still get upset that we aren't doing anything well. But, you know, maybe if we back the players more and stop slandering 75% of the team... Maybe the lads will start to play better, don't you think? So, what I'm going to do here is I've made some lists here. I've done immune to slander. I've done a borderline slandered, not slandered. And then I've done full slandered, like there is no mercy for some players. So, let's go to... Who is completely immune to slander? This does not mean that they're immune to criticism. It just means that they're immune to slander. Obviously, the most obvious player that is immune to slander is Kevin De Bruyne. Because simply, he is our best player. Probably, when he's done playing, he'll probably be the greatest City player to put on the shirt. Which is my guess. And... Still has a good amount of assist considering not having a great season so far. Phil Foden, obviously, just because of the fact that he is our homegrown boy, wants to be at the club, wants to play at City, and personally, I don't think he's been given enough of a chance 
to impact the team because recently Baldy has decided not to play him, sub him on too late, not start him when he should. Yeah, you know how I feel about that. Start Foden Baldy. And then I'm going to say Ruben Diaz has been immune to it so far just because he's new and, you know, there's not much to slander. Well, you shouldn't slander any player, but he just got here. So maybe the people haven't found anything to slander him on yet. But really, they should be thankful that we have an incredible partner for Laporte. Going to say Ferran is also one of our players immune from slander or Ferran. For those of you Spanish speakers, I'm trying my best here. I'm sorry. But just because he is our new wonder boy, he's done incredibly in the Champions League and for Spain. I'm also going to say Ake just because, again, we have another very competent defender who can also play left back, has been injured recently, but when he's played, he's proven very well. Fernandinho, just because everyone knows, okay, yeah, he's 35. Things are not going to be as shiny and great as they used to be with him, but he's still incredible. I put Aguero with a question mark on my immune to slander just because some people think he's washed up, but with his fitness recently, he hasn't really been able to show what he's been able to do. So I never really see a Aguero slander from any of our fans. So, well, I didn't write Zach Steffen down just because I felt like he's been irrelevant to all of this. He's only played a couple of cup games and people have just been like, okay, this guy's a pretty good backup to Ederson. And personally, I really like him, but maybe it's because he's one of the only things I like from the U.S. So... Here are my people who are on the bubble. People either heavily defend them or people slander these players for whatever reason. And I completely understand why people heavily defend them. So my first play person on the list for this is Ederson. Just because simply for the fact that recently people have been like, Ederson should be sold. He's off of his form, blah, 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 drop him, Stefan should start, Ederson is awful. Hold up a minute. You're really going to slander and complain about the Golden Glove winner of the 1920 season who won a Golden Glove with Laporte being injured, 35-year-old Fernandinho as a makeshift center back, out-of-form Otamendi, injury-prone and dealing with a lot of personal shit stones, inexperienced Garcia, Mendy, self-explanatory, Zinchenko, not that great, Cancelo, breaking into the system, and, well, Kyle Walker was great that season. You're really going to slander, arguably, the best goalkeeper in the Premier League because... In my opinion, his season last season proved why he's the best goalkeeper in the Premier League. Like, I just think it's ridiculous that there's people who are turning on him all of a sudden. He is arguably one of our most important players. 
And the next person I'm going into is Laporte. Yes, I'm Eric, Waymerick, Waport, what everyone loves to call him, because he doesn't take any L's. That sounded so bad, but how I we bought him for a reason in the 17-18 season. We needed a player like him. And yet there are people saying that he needs to be sold when our defense is arguably the best it's been the past couple of seasons. Yet, without him last season, our defense was fucked practically. You are turning on him and saying he's not that good because of City's struggles recently when really our problem is not in the defense. This is why other fan bases don't rate him and compare him to bums like Joe Gomez out of all players. Ugh, oh my god. How can this fan base not hype up Laporte and call him the best center back in the world? Yes, it's arguable who the best center back in the world is, but he should be regarded as one of the top five center backs in the world. Not being said that he should be slandered and sold or anything. No, we need to overhype him because he is one of our most important players. I'm not saying he should be immune to criticism. Maybe he needs to rest for a few games. Maybe he needs to be put on the bench and maybe we should have Ake or Stones play alongside Ruben. I don't know. That's up to other people. But the truth is he's one of our best players and he's one of our most important players. We should not be saying he should be sold. And then we have Cancelo because I, I think he's on the bubble. I just go off of how last season our own fans were calling him a flop. Yet he hadn't really been played that much. And you know, he's kind of out of playing out of position right now. And honestly, I really like him at left back. I know we need a proper left back, but I'm personally enjoying him at left back. And I think he's been incredible there. I think that's something that's also worked. Maybe he's been a bit exposed because left backs is not his natural position. But I just think some people need to get a grip. And then there's Rodri, because in some people's opinions, he is too slow. He's not the proper Fernandinho replacement. But sometimes you have to look at him and you're like, wow, he's one of our best players on the pitch. But he shouldn't be sold. I don't think he should be sold. Like, I think he's an incredible player. And... I think he was one of our best players last season in a time where we were struggling defensively. It's going to take him time to get into that role, especially because he's so young still. And then I have Bernardo on the list. Bernardo is just so controversial. We know he hasn't been playing the way that he's supposed to, but people are saying he should be sold. Yet we can play him in a few different positions where he would excel. The problem is his best position is where KDB plays. And with KDB fit, we haven't really been able to see Bernardo played there. 
I really want to see more of what Bernardo and KDB would do together side by side. But, you know, that's not how Pep works. Pep's not going to change that. Pep is going to heavily rely on KDB. But, I mean, I understand why, but... And then the last person who is kind of on the bubble of between constantly slandered and never slandered, who gets some criticism, some slander from the fan base, but other fans really love him, is Kyle Walker. Again, another controversial player, just because of, you know, what happened during lockdown. He's not innocent, but I think he's a leader. I think he's learned from his mistakes. Yes, it's funny to joke about it sometimes, like stuff about Miss Bum Bum or Phil's Iceland party. (laughs) Or I love Kyle Walker. He was our best defender last season. And yet there are some City fans who think he's completely shit. Maybe he's getting a little bit past his prime, but he's also 30 years old. He's getting up there. And, you know, once you get past 30 and you're a defender, it starts to go down a little bit. But, yes, he's made some bad mistakes recently. He's conceded a couple of penalties this season. But there have been other times where he's been incredible on the pitch. And I rate him. I love him. Like, I don't think that some people should be slandering like they have been. And now time for the fun part. The players who are constantly slandered and... I mean, I guess I'm going to go into defending all of them. And some of these may be very controversial. Just depending on who they are. And yeah, this one should be pretty fun. So... First I wrote on my list was Zinchenko because I feel like he's a constant target for slander, no matter if he's playing or not. And it's kind of because I didn't really have a great 1920 season. You know, he was fantastic in 1819. I mean, he just he isn't a left back. He's supposed to be an attacking midfielder. And Pep is notorious for making these makeshift left backs, so it's just like you got to cut him a little bit of slack. I know that's not an excuse because he's not naturally a left back. But yeah, I agree that he's a player that should be sold. But I feel for the guy because of these death threats that he's gotten. Because none of these players should have be getting death threats. And, you know, he's a passion merchant. And you get, you gotta like that about him. Like, I like that about him. But I don't really have too much to say on Zinchenko besides all that. So that's pretty much it for him. Next on the list, I have Mendy. And the thing is with Mendy, I feel so bad for him just because of the fact that he had to go on Instagram and respond to people's comments of him saying that he needed to be better and saying, yeah, I know, bro, I'll do better next time. It's just like, come on. He probably already knows that he needs to be better and more clinical. But the thing is, he's one of those players where injuries have really ruined him. 
And I know he can be decent sometimes, but like, I don't want to say cut him him some slack because the criticism is fair, but he's not as good as he should be because he's been through so much with his knee. Well, both of his knees, in fact. And you never see Dortmund fans slandering Marco Royce because of all the injuries that he's been through and that potentially affecting his form. So why are we doing this to Mendy? We know he can be somewhat decent. I think if we sign a proper left back, I think he would be a good backup to them. It's just a shame that he hasn't lived up to what he wanted to live up to. But that doesn't mean we constantly slander him. All right. Next one I have on my list is very controversial within the City fan base. But if you know me well, you know he's a personal favorite or was a personal favorite of mine. But it's our little Catalan midget, as everyone calls him. God, I had to mute that from my timeline. But it's Eric Garcia. The thing is, this whole fan base went from calling him the best young defender in the world to he shit, he's slow, he doesn't fit in our system, blah, 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 within one transfer rumor. And people are calling him a snake, and it's just like, okay, you have to be crazy to call him a snake, because you should have expected that there was going to be some speculation with him being linked to going back to Barcelona at some point because, you know, they're going to need a player like him and potentially they do need him more than we do now, especially with PK's injury. But he has come out and said, I'm a City player right now and has somewhat addressed the rumors. He's never been disrespectful. He's worked with the academy and coaches the academy which I find incredible, at 19 years old, he's actually a pretty solid backup right now and made our defense more solid in Project Restart. The thing is, the only reason he's slandered is because people are angry that he wants to leave for Barcelona, his boyhood club, a club that potentially needs him more than we do, like I've said. It's the same thing that happened with Sané. People stopped rating Sané because he wanted to leave even though Pep wasn't necessarily playing him as much as he should have been, which, I mean, I agree with Sané on there. But the thing is, why are you slandering a 19-year-old when some of you on Twitter are older than him? I just find that ridiculous. You're slandering a 19-year-old who through all this crap, has still acted like a professional, has not done anything at all to disrespect the club, even though everyone has claimed he has, is acting as a professional, seeing out his contract. You don't know whether he's going to actually leave or not. He's 19. Your brain doesn't fully mature until you're 25. He could be going back and forth on his decision on whether he wants to stay or whether he wants to leave. Because you know what? After this season, and I'll get to this player in a minute, we don't know what's going to happen with Stones. Do we know whether Stones is going to stay or, to, or going to leave? I understand why people would be mad that he would get 
picked for the team over Stones because Stones has directly said, I want to be here. I want to fight for my spot. But there's there's no reason to slander a 19-year-old. You all are just salty and you need to get over it. Like, grow up. I know this is going to piss people off, but in reality, that's the truth. And with a tight fixture schedule, yeah. You're going to have to play him sometimes so Laporte and Diaz don't get injured. So, speaking of Stones, we're going to go into John Stones next. The man who, in my opinion, on his day, good form, good fitness, is the best choice for starting for the England national team at center back. Going to break it to you. We technically may not have our 18-19 title without John Stones. Simply for the fact of his goal line clearance. And you know what? Ironically, him and Otamendi did make a pretty solid pairing for the first part of the 17-18 season. I mean, we got 100 points with those two being our center backs since company was injured part of the season. And he's played well with Laporte before. Him and Ake together are a very good backup partnership. The fact that he played and held his own against Wolves at Wolves Stadium is pretty solid. People are just pissed off at him because he's part of the reason why our 1920 defense was kind of shambolic. Just because his fitness was not there, and he was dealing with some stuff in his personal life at the time. It's like, come on, you don't know how someone's personal life is going to affect them on the pitch. And clearly for Stones, it affected him heavily. So you've got to cut him some slack. And there's people still complaining when he plays, but he wants to be here, and he wants to fight for his spot because we know he can be a solid center back. Hopefully we continue to see him in some games. Hopefully tomorrow we see him against Olympiacos. But it's just like, come on. Cut the guy some slack. Like, grow. More people are backing him up. More people are backing him. But there are still some kids that are pissed off that Stones is playing. It's just like, come on. He's a solid player. He just had a bad year. And that happens. That happens to all footballers. All right. I got four more players here. We're going to go into our favorite Turkish-German player, and that is Ilkay Gundogan, who everyone calls fatty or has peps nudes. Or The thing is, I don't know what would have happened in 1819 when Fernandinho got injured and we did not have Gundo. Gundo was very solid, filling in for Fernandinho in the 1920, excuse me, 1819 season. Like, what would have happened if we didn't have Gundo there while Dino was injured? I think he is a very smart player. I just think he doesn't work in certain lineups. He does not work in that Gundo Rodri pivot that everyone hates, which I understand why, because it's slow and people are able to figure that out easily. So I think he's better if we rotate him out with Fernandinho and Rodri, just because 
I think he's a solid player there. And he's very smart and very passionate for the game. And our last three are attackers that should not be slandered. Let's go into Sterling first. Oh my god, I know he misses easy chances and he has not been on form with goal scoring recently. But where would have we been without him in the 17-18 season? Would we have gotten 100 points? I don't know. He saved us plenty of times there. It happens. Every player misses their chances. He's still one of the England national team's best players. He's still one of the best attackers in the Premier League. Went on a drought last season, yet still was our top goal scorer. That man is a goal machine. And who knows? He could be really tired right now. We don't know what's going on with Raz. And I know he will find his form again soon because he did find it when he was struggling in the 1920 season as well. I love watching Raz. He's one of my favorite players. There's just no reason for us constantly to be doubting him. We got to back him through his time of struggle. And that leads to our other winger that we constantly slander and compare to Raz, which is Riyad Mahrez. Okay, I know part of this is because we all can't stand the Algerian plastic fanboys that come with Mahrez. Yes, they are annoying. Yes, Mahrez is a bit selfish at times. But overall, he is a solid player. Both him and Raz are very solid wingers. Marquez was incredible during the 1920 season as well. You have to give him credit there as well because you just can't hate him for that. And that goal at Brighton in 2019 in the 4-1 game where we won the title, I saw that goal live. I was at the Amex Stadium to see that goal. That goal was incredible. I just... I don't know if City is the right place for Mares, but remember, he came to City because he wanted to be here. And last but not least, we have our backup striker, number nine, Gabriel Jesus. Yes, he is offside. Yes, he has bottled some of KDB's chances, but we know Gabby loves a good Champions League night, and he scored that 100-point goal. He's very good on his day. I think putting him next to Aguero is also a fantastic idea. I just don't get what the slander is. Is he the proper Aguero replacement? I'm not sure. That's up for debate. I would like us to sign someone like Holland or whoever, but he's a natural winger. So what if we bought a striker and put him on the wing? Or what if we played Aguero on top and put Jesus on the wing? I think that would be a very deadly front. And I think that's something we should try. We know that Gabby is really good. And we know Gabby has scored incredible goals. So why are we constantly slandering him as well? Especially when he had to deal with an injury. <sighs> The thing is, I just spent 45 minutes here discussing 
and defending a bunch of players. It's just something that we need to realize. That if we want our players to be better, then maybe we should back them to be better instead of constantly slandering them. We know that everyone in the city team is incredible. We all know what they can contribute. But if we're not getting behind them, then they're not going to get through this time of struggle. They're really not. And that's the sad truth. Just remember all the good that they've done and know what they can do and just be like, yeah, you'll get there soon. Head up, king. Anyway, that is it. Let me know what you think.